Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. guys and welcome back to ladies who law school podcast i'm sam and i'm Haley. and this week's episode is sponsored by barcast audio so everyone who's taking the bar in just a few months you should definitely get on barcast audio because i know that you definitely want to get a leg up right so if you have nothing to do in the car and you're bored of podcasts and you just want to get ahead of bar prep like this is what you have to do there's seven mb subjects and it basically has like a bunch of ways to study um the bar subjects with mnemonics and questions so i've used it personally for con law and evidence and i really like it so you guys have to try it out too yeah make sure and use code law L-A-W on barcastaudio.com for 10% off your MBE pack now. Also, you guys, seriously, he's launching more topics and all these different little modules. So keep on the lookout for that. Make sure you follow him on Instagram, um, Barcast Audio. It's Daniel Ocho over there. So guys, um, we got our vaccine and it didn't hurt at all. But to be honest, not going to lie, just because we want to be super transparent, we kind of had like some chills and, you know, headaches. What about, what What did you specifically feel, Haley? Okay. So you said it didn't hurt. Also, I hate needles <laughs> and I like overthink this whole process. So if you're like me, <laughs> it kind of did hurt. Um, it was, just, it was quick. You had to sit there 15 minutes after, um, we got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So it's only one. And, um, I know my family got, uh, the vaccines where you take two and they had mentioned that they felt symptoms first vaccine or the second. And yeah, quite honestly, I felt the symptoms exactly 12 hours after I'd gotten the vaccine. Um, I had chills, like I definitely felt sick. Um, and it was crazy just because I couldn't imagine having full fledged COVID. Yeah. I mean, Last night, I slept with full like winter PJs and three blankets and the heat on, and I was still shivering, but I was also like sweating. So that was uncomfortable, but I woke up feeling more normal. I am like, my body is really achy. Don't know if that's like from working out or the vaccine. Who knows at this point? So, but overall, it's not terrible, guys. And I really recommend if you have the opportunity to, you know, schedule up an appointment and get your vaccine, like take advantage of that because the sooner that we all get the vaccine, like things will get back to normal, hopefully. Yes. And we were very lucky to be able to get the vaccine. Also, like she said about the chills and the sweating and everything, you kind of just feel like your head's in a cloud. You know, you just definitely. If I didn't have the vaccine, I would maybe I wouldn't realize that I was sick in a way. But yeah, this is real, you guys. And um, I hope, like she said, if you have the opportunity to get the vaccine, you take it. Well, guys, we have an awesome guest who we spoke to, and we are so ready to share that conversation with you guys. She has a firm in Austin. She went to UT as in UT University of Texas in Austin for both undergrad and law school. So very cool guys. We're so excited to introduce her. Yes. So please help us welcome Miss Ifia Beckway. (laughs) 
please help me welcome our esteemed guest, Miss Ify Abekwe. So Ify, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. My name is Ify Abekwe, as you just said, and um, I'm a lawyer. I'm a business owner. I'm a mom of four. I'm married to my awesome husband, almost 10 years, and I love entrepreneurship. So that's that's me in a nutshell. I'm also a very avid plant lady and I do watercolor painting. <laughs> oh, love all that. We are big plant girls over here. So I love that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you talked about entrepreneur. Just tell us a little bit about that and what you do and how you, you know, stoke that fire. Okay. So when I had a taste of entrepreneurship, it was about 10 years ago, 2011. I used to bake a lot. And I'm a very meticulous baker. I only bake small treats like French macarons. And um, I also make, I used to make cake balls and cake pops because they were trendy about 10 years ago and cupcakes and little like meticulous treats, Um, just nitpicky kind of super focused little treats. And I bring them into the office and people kept saying, I want to buy some for my mom's birthday party. And so I decided to start a little business. And that was my first foray into entrepreneurship. And it was under the Texas cottage food law where you could bake at home. And I really grew a very big business and it was getting to be so big that I actually had to shut it down because I would be up all night baking for country clubs and, and for retirement parties and for graduations and weddings. And if you know weddings, like that's a huge deal. Everybody wants their stuff to be perfect. And I wanted it to be as pristine as, as possible, but I was having kids and they were like, what are we making? And I'm like, you cannot touch anything, you know? And so that was the first time I thought I could be really successful in entrepreneurship, but it had to come in a more, um, focused way. And, and subsequently it led to me starting my own practice, but that was the real introduction about a decade ago. So just a question. So while you were doing all this baking business, were you also a lawyer at the time? Yes. I had to choose between being a lawyer and a baker. I even had a crowdfund where I raised $5,000 to get into a commercial kitchen. And then I thought, I don't make enough to justify this is my job to leave my legal job, you know? And I don't know that I would have made that same decision if I knew what I knew now, because I was just afraid. I'm like, I'm a lawyer. It's, it's good money, you know, and this is such hard work and you don't really get paid much. The margins aren't great, you know, but now I would structure it totally differently. But yeah, I was doing it in the evenings after work. So that's how I started it. So how did you handle a side hustle and then being a lawyer and then a mom and like, how, how did you do it? Because I know so many people want to know how to do it. Yeah, it didn't go very well because <laughs> I didn't have a plan. It kind of just happened to me. And I guess one tip I would tell people listening is you don't have to monetize every hobby you have. Like I could totally start propagating all kinds of plants because that's what I just do regularly, but I also don't have to start an Etsy shop and sell them. And so that was one lesson I learned is that you really have to know what your purpose is when you go into that business and whether you have enough time, margin, energy, sleep to do that. And so that's something that I didn't know back then, but I had to stop because all of it all together was too overwhelming. Oh, I can only imagine. So at that time, what law were you practicing? Were you still practicing estate planning? No, um, I actually went to school because I wanted to do education law. And so for the first 11 years of my life, I worked for a large education nonprofit in Austin, Texas. And um, at that time, I was doing education law or school law and Mm -hmm. providing legal services to K through 12 principals, superintendents, administrators, teachers, whomever in school business. And that was really what I was doing at that time was, you know, speaking and presenting and writing and answering calls and and, and that sort of thing. And I really loved my job back then. And it was just a creative outlet, you know, because sometimes the law can feel very uncreative. And I just thought, I just need to use my hands and create something. So that's how it started. So what made you switch from education law to now you're in estate planning? Yeah, it's not a very uh, sexy story at all. Um, 
at my company, we had on-site daycare. And I tell this story all the time. And um, I had stopped working there, but I'd kept my children in daycare. I had three kids, but I had kept them in daycare at the company, even though I was at this point in my career, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And one of the moms asked me if I did wills because the man who was doing wills for her company was putting the wrong names on wills. And I just thought, well, yeah, I do now because I knew I could do that. I would not mess it up that bad. I would, there's no way I would create a will that had the wrong name on it. To me, that is just so shameful. And, and I, I felt like if he had work, I could get work too and yeah. be accurate. And that's when I started my deep dive into estate planning and it's such a deep well, y'all. But it was just one of those things where I was like, I'm going to learn. I'm going to take every CLE. I'm going to ask everybody, even though it's a stupid question I should know. I just asked and asked and asked. And when I started, I wasn't just doing estate planning. I was doing business law and I was open to school law. Um, it's just you cast a wide net because you don't know what your niche is going to be. And I certainly didn't think it was estate planning, but it ended up working really well because um, I just kept building my clientele. And I actually really fell in love with the area. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frieda McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So, if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Wow, very cool. So let's do like a rewind. (laughs) And... Let's start from the beginning of your legal career. Okay. Where did you go to law school and what was that experience like? So I went to the University of Texas at Austin for undergrad and then straight afterwards in law school. I started in 2003 and I graduated in 2006. And um, I just remember, I don't even know what the ranking is right now, but I know that the ranking of the school of UT, that's what we call it for those of you outside of Texas, um, it was a big deal. So it was like a top tier school. I don't even know, honestly. It's, it's still top tier. Yeah. So Okay. Yeah. So it definitely had the clout. Oh my gosh. Almost 20 years ago when I went. And um, so I remember getting into UT law and how big of a deal that was because it was a really great school to get into. And I'd applied to other schools like Berkeley in California. Um, And I think I applied to maybe Georgetown. They were kind of in that echelon, but then I applied to other Texas schools too. And I got into pretty much every school I applied to except a couple of them. And um, it was just such a point of pride. I just walked up the hill because I've been on campus for four years. I knew the place. I had friends there. My community was there. And it was just such an easy transition to go there. Now, getting into law school is different than attending law school. I am one of those people who's very social, but I did not enjoy law school. Did not enjoy, um, I enjoyed the people tremendously and some of the professors, but I didn't enjoy how cutthroat it was and how little practical experience I got based on, you know, what I do now. I'm like, wow, it would be great to have more clinics and hands-on experiences versus 
I, it felt like everyone was being trained to be a law professor, which, or, or to clerk and, or to go to big law. And that just wasn't my path. And I just didn't feel like the school really catered to someone like me. So yeah, I didn't love it. Okay. So you say that you didn't love law school and it was very competitive. That is something we want to talk about. So can you just tell us a little bit more about that and like what your experience was like with the competition in law school? Yeah. So if you think of a school like UT and you all mentioned, like, even now it's got a great reputation, which means a ton of people apply. And it's such a point of pride for for many people to go there. A lot of the people who get in have excelled tremendously. You know, we're not talking slackers here. So that's going to be impossible for everyone to be at the top. And I think that someone like me, where I have had to put out minimal effort in order to thrive, law school was a place where that was not going to be possible for me because there's so many people there that were graduating top of their class and top of their college class. And we have rankings and you, you no one can be, you can't have everyone at the top. And so I think that was a huge slap in the face, like to, to see that, oh, this is serious. Like everybody's really great. Right. And so I wasn't a stellar student, but I wasn't a terrible student either. It was just Meh. And I was usually a very straight A with little effort person. And even UT undergrad is still pretty competitive in Texas, at least, or in the South. And it was a breeze. That's how I felt like school was a breeze. And so I think that really was a blow to my ego. And it's not to say that that's everyone's experience, but really not knowing how to compete on that level where you have, I'm sure people who are straight up savants in your class, you know, people who just naturally are rising to the top, right? They just retain. Um, and so that was a, that was an experience that I didn't enjoy because when you're so used to doing well, it really, it doesn't have that, you know, dopamine hit where you get the grade and you're like, oh yeah, I feel so good. You're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be here. But, um, I did find my niche and I found great mentors there and I don't have any regrets about going to school there, but um, I think that's something that you were, you're going to experience anywhere you go. And so it's really what you make of it. And I was really young when I went to law school. So looking back now, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't sweat that at all. You know, I think that the competition that you're talking about can really start, you know, making you feel like imposter syndrome, right? Like, because everyone is the top of their class at every law school in the country. It's the smartest people, you know, like it's all, everyone's trying hard to get to the same place. And naturally when you, all the people are in the same place, there's one person at the top and there's the rest can't be there. No, And I think it's, it's good to remind students that like, it's okay. Like if you're in the middle, you're going to survive it. You don't have to be number one, right? I no. mean, it would be awesome if you could, if it's, if it happens, but I think the competition aspect can really make people feel, I don't know, at least for me, the competition doesn't make me feel great either. So yeah, I totally validate your feelings. And I know that so many students feel that same way. Well, if I could give any advice, it doesn't really matter if you graduate at the top of your class or at the bottom of your class. What really matters if you want to become a lawyer is passing the bar exam. And I don't meet lawyers today where I'm just like, now what tier were you order of, you know, no, you actually don't even care. It's not an indication of how successful you'll be. Nobody asked. I've worked with people who went to bottom tier or however they're doing it now, schools who are my boss, you know? And so it's, it's, who cares? It literally, you have to think about what you want from your life and what the priority is. Now, if you're trying to go to one of these, you know, law firms where that's all they're about, which most of my friends who went that route are not there because that stuff sucks. Um, The money is great, but the lifestyle is absolutely not great. And so just with maturity, figuring out what you want and what your boundaries are, just getting through law school. For those of you listening who are like, I'm not going to get a job. I won't get a clerkship. Just get a job and, and, and do the law thing if you want to. If, you're not, if you don't want to, it opens so many doors and you don't have to start where you're going to finish, which I think is just remarkable about this degree is actually taking a break and not being freaked out about your scores and your ranking and enjoying the learning process. I think that will serve so many people 
well rather than that frenzy or that Adderall fused binge of constitutional law, you know, before the exam. Like, I don't want to live like that. That sounds horrible, you know? So that's the best advice I've heard (laughs) in quite some time because it's so true. Like, and I love how you said where you start is not where you have to finish. I have slowly learned that with this podcast and just in my year and a half in my legal career. Right. Um, But with that being said, there's so many opportunities out there. And I like how you also mentioned that when the lady was like, can you do wills? You're like, well, I can now. And I'm going to be better than that guy. Like that's how it works in our fields. And it, it, it allows you to take hobbies that you have or, you know, different things and pursue them in a legal aspect. So that's really cool. What would you say is your top, I mean, you gave a really good tip already, but what would you say is like another tip for your current law student? I would say to, to really distill your school hours where you treat it like a job. I mean, and a lot of law students have jobs, so I'm really talking about blocking your time and taking a weekend, and which sometimes seems completely insane. But um, I do this in my personal life and having four little kids, I feel it is, is a lot more difficult than law school because mm-hmm. they don't really care about your schedule, you know, mm-hmm. and they still have their demands and they still have their hours that you have to respect. And so if I was going to law school today, I would definitely block my schedule. I mean, how I take classes, my time to study, um, how to really arrange your schedule in such a way that you give yourself balance and then find things that ground you. Like for me, I love to work out or go on long walks or be in nature, or put my feet in the grass, or, you know, some people like to go swimming. Don't cut out the things that bring you joy just because you're in law school. I think that's something that I really just tried to muscle through. And I, I go to the library, but I wouldn't study because my body was just like, I don't want to be here. You know, we were here all week can we do something else? And you're like, no, I'm going to the library all day. It sounds good. But a lot of us were just wasting time there and just being there because you're supposed to be there. Right. But if you really have dedicated time where you're saying, okay, from 4 PM to 8 PM, Monday through Thursday, that is my dedicated study time. That's like 16 hours concentrated and you can have breaks or however you want to parse it out to just do the work, to do the reading, to do the assignments, to do the whatever. And you work out your schedule in a way that you're not killing yourself to get this stuff done. Because another trend in work is people aren't going to be putting in those 80-hour weeks anymore. You know, that's not attractive. That's not something that (laughs) I think COVID has really brought it out where you can really get a lot done in a few hours. And so if you can find a method to really distill quality, undistracted work time that gives you breaks, I think that that will serve you well, even after law school, because you'll really start to manage when you work and when you relax and when you play and when you sleep, because all of that is still important as, as a human being. And you can't just be on, on, on working, 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 working. It doesn't serve you. Your body's going to break down. Mentally, you'll break down. Physically, something will give. And so that's one thing I would say, even though it seems impossible, you're really not spending that quality time. You're just most people are just there <laughs> and, you know, surfing the internet sometimes. Yeah. No, I totally, like when I go to a coffee shop, I'm like, I'm going to get this done. And then I've been on Instagram for exactly. 30 minutes. You know, <laughs> I, I do like that idea of blocking out time. It's kind of like, it reminds me of um, at my internship right now on the calendar, you know, he blocks his time for certain things. And yes. I've been starting to put that in my Google Calendar, like block out, like today I put like block out studying for legislation and I loved it. Um, yeah. So I think that that's great advice. That's what I do in my work calendar. You know, I try and take Mondays off. It used to be Fridays, but I moved Friday to be my CEO day where I brainstorm and I think about improving systems in my business. And then Monday through Thursday for the middle of the day, that's when I take client calls and have meetings. Before that, I can do some actual work. And then after that, I can do work. But on Monday, my kids are in daycare and I kind of want a day to like 
beginning of the week, no one's really out and about, you know, but have my whole day where I can do whatever I want to do, go wherever I want to go to a museum or whatever it is to fill my cup and then jump into the work day on Tuesday. And so I'm very blocked out. Honestly, that work schedule sounds so nice. And it's just like an incentive to have your own business one day because you can choose what your schedule is. And I think that especially now with just like mental health and legal, you know, it's all intertwined. And I think that the work schedule can really help in that aspect of getting your life like back on track, you know? Absolutely. I mean, not to, to trigger anyone, but our suicide rate and depression and alcoholism rate are things that we go to all these CLEs to learn how to cope and to manage the stress. And part of that stress is acting as if we're machines as lawyers, and we're not. We're having very unrealistic um, expectations for billing if you're in that sort of practice, which burn you out or not getting enough sleep or, or just relying on things to keep awake so you can get more work done and bill more. It's just not sustainable. And so if you're a person who enjoys balance, but you also want to make a good living, you can do that without killing yourself as a lawyer. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier that you did education law. Mm-hmm. right outside of law school. Was that your first job or what did that look like when you first graduated law school? Yeah, my very first job, I worked for a teacher's union in Texas, only teachers and certain school um, employees can unionize. And so I worked for a teacher's organization and I would represent um, people for their grievances from the bus barn, like not getting the bus route they wanted and other <laughs> petty, um, petty slights and... <laughs> and people sometimes. Um, But yeah, that's what I started off doing. I I would answer questions for school employees about what their rights were and how they could have representation if they had a grievance with their principal or um, with their, you know, supervisor, whomever. And we would go and represent them at their meetings, informal and then sometimes formalized before they would be able to escalate into some sort of lawsuit. You had to go through the administrative process set up by the school. And so I did that. And I did that kind of thing, you know, um, for a year almost. And then I went to work for the nonprofit that I mentioned for 10 years. And I switched over to the other side where I was with the admin. And I didn't have to go to any tribunals, but I did a lot of trainings. And I love speaking and teaching And I would just teach them about the law or if there were legislative changes, we'd do updates on what had changed for um, students or First Amendment issues or employment issues or, you know, finance and government. Because the school district is like a town. And so oftentimes, at least in Texas, and I assume everywhere in the country, it's the biggest employer, you know. And so a lot of jobs come from the school district and it they have things that they do with the municipality and you know with parents and it was just such a great way to really have a broad spectrum of the law and the intersectionality um, with schools and so I did that for a while. So that was your first job at the teachers union. Did you intern there beforehand while you were in law school or was it just something that you started after graduation? No. While I was in law school, I did a lot of school law internships. One of them was at a school law firm, um, and I was a law clerk there one summer. Um, Another time I worked for a school magazine that was a Texas school magazine. So I didn't even necessarily always go the route of analogous practice where it was like, I have to clerk, but it was like, oh, they sell this magazine to school districts and, you know, other people who are tied to schools. And so I did that. Um, I'm trying to think what I did my first summer. I don't even remember. I mean, this is really, I did a lot. So part of the reason is because my my clerkship was really long. I didn't stop in the summer. That was my part-time job. And so I worked there probably for almost a year um, and straddled the, the summers, you know. And one summer I went to Kenya for a month. And I mean, I wasn't <laughs> opposed to opportunities. So yeah, and not for law, just for kicks. Cause I had a family who lived there and they invited me and I thought it would be a great experience. Um, and then, you know, honestly, my first summer was, is, was difficult because my first summer, my dad died in April of my 1L year. And so I went home 
And so that was something that I, I really felt bad because my grades were so bad that semester. And now looking back, I'm like, what, why did I even go back to take finals? You know, he died like a, a week before my finals and it was just a devastation. I'm a total daddy's girl. Like we're very close knit family. And, and now looking back, I'm like, who cares? Like, I really don't remember what I did that summer because my dad died. You know what I mean? And so these things that you look on and are so important, like keeping your grades up so you can go work somewhere where you will, you know, probably hate um, because that's what you're supposed to do. Like now I'm like, why would I ever, but you know, when you're 21, that was a big deal. I was like, oh, I'm not going to do well, but I went through a lot in law school. And so I tell people, just give yourself grace. Don't plan it all out. Find things that you enjoy and do those things and find alternative ways to make money. And, um, you know, I have interns that, um, desire to be law law students and one of them right now is in law school and he's like killing it but he was doing my PR for me beforehand just to get experience and he was excellent and now no matter what he needs I'm going to give it to him because he was excellent but also I would love for him to come back and work for me you know in the summer or even permanently because I'm growing my business and I'm going to need more lawyers. And he knows like how I work and is, is part of the the family now. So don't count out things that don't seem as attractive um, in your summer work. So <laughs> I'm, we want to talk about racism and everything and just kind of unpack your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we're curious about how your experience was in law school, but we're also curious about how your experience was outside of law school and in your work. I mean, it seems like you've done a lot with civil rights and pupils' rights and that you want to help people. So I'm sure that's what enticed you to go to law school, right? Um, so yeah, can you just tell us a little bit about that and like I said, what your experience has been like? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic question and it allows me to show like I didn't I didn't go to school because I was a social justice warrior type at all. You know, my dad was a physician and my mom was a teacher. And my dad used to teach at medical school at UT Houston Medical School. And so I knew that I had teachers in my family and I didn't want to be a teacher and I didn't want to be a doctor who taught. And so I thought education law that sounds really good and that really allowed me to advocate initially for employees rather than the employer or the administrator. Um, I didn't really have any instances of blatant racism in law school. I don't think I was awakened as much as I am now. Again, I was really young when I started. I started law school. I was 21. And one thing I did know is that there were very few, in my class, there were 30 Black people out of a class of, I believe we had 515 or 525. It was like one of the largest cohorts they'd ever had. And I remember thinking, that's it, you know? Um, But again, when you look at UT undergrad, back then it was 3%. 2%, maybe almost 4% the years that I went for undergrad. So I wasn't even shocked by those things. But I did always feel um, that it wasn't representative of who could be there, you know, and a lot of students, you know, would get admitted but not want to go there because it just didn't seem that diverse. But other than that, I didn't really have horrible racist experiences or anything like that in school. Just the, you know, sometimes people think you're there because you're there for affirmative action or some other thing when you realize like the the people who benefit most from those systems aren't people like me. You know, there are a lot of legacy kids and I think white women are the biggest benefit. I forgot how to say the word, they benefit the most from affirmative action, right? But, you know, having people have that in their mind, like you've taken a spot from somebody who should be there, I definitely had undertones of that, but nothing blatant, you know, and I always knew I was smart. So I I got in, you know, because I deserve to go there, not because anyone was giving me a handout. Um, And then um, I really wasn't one of the people who wanted to go to big law at all. I had already clerked at the law firm and it was the small to mid-sized school law firm. Um, And I thought I wanted to do that. But when I had to start doing the billable hours, I really didn't like it. But it was a great firm because they had a diverse um, 
group of lawyers, school law tends to be a really great area for diversity because you're working with schools, right? And it's not um, corporate and in more, you know, straight laced white guy kind of land. And so that never appealed to me because I just knew I would just be on an island. And after law school, you know, I didn't really have experiences where I, I felt any sort of blatant discrimination. I did start to get more aware of how race works in America. Just to give you background, I didn't grow up in America, so I don't have all of these, you know, like, I don't have the education or like the familial ties where I can say my ancestors were enslaved people and they were from here. Like I'm from Nigeria. And so I would go to Nigeria every summer, you know, and it was, I grew up in the Middle East, like in Dubai and Saudi Arabia. So it was a complete different experience for me coming here. And I have learned things as I have grown up. And I've become more awakened. Like I used to think back in law school that I was exempt from some things because I'm like, oh, well, I'm Nigerian and we just, we always do well in school. That's kind of like the reputation, right? But didn't realize like people aren't seeing you as, oh, you're Nigerian and they're from the islands and these people are from the South. Like nobody's seeing that. They just see you as black. And so that has been an unlearning that I have personally done and has, and that has been absolute necessary work. And I would say just, you know, um, things like the shootings in Dallas in 2016, and then all of the Black Lives Matter stuff that arose from Ferguson and last year was just a cluster. Um, Those things have made me become more of a vocal advocate when I see the systemic oppression and the racist systems that, you know, at first I used to excuse as many people do, but then you see the roots of it and you do more reading and you're like, oh, this is such a multi-layered subject. And so it's going to be so hard for me to answer this question because it's an ongoing thing that doesn't just affect Black people or people of color. It affects everybody. And everyone has some tie to it, whether or not, you know, they're comfortable recognizing that. Um, so I'm not like, oh, woke police or anything. I'm like, dude, this stuff is so layered. But let's just suffice to say that there are, are deep-rooted problems. And so I continue to be more bold in speaking out about those sorts of injustices. That is great because it's true. We're all just learning and being awakened, like you said. And there's been times growing up or even like you said, when you were younger in law school that maybe we allowed things to happen and we didn't even realize what was happening. And it, it, it can be, like I said, quite a learning experience. How do you feel raising four babies? in this world. I mean, that is another thing. I know we are a community of many women and (laughs) many of us want to have a family. And I just, I would love for you to speak on that too. Yeah. I I mean, I never thought I'd have four kids. I'll tell you that. Um, Yeah. My oldest is seven. My youngest is turning one in less than a week. I'm like, I can't believe it. My baby. She's walking all over the place too. Um, I am not a person who lives in fear, but I am someone who will raise my kids differently than my parents raised me because they're, we are immigrants. Like I became a naturalized U.S. citizen. And so they are born here. <laughs> they, they describe themselves as African-American, my oldest mm-hmm. does. And I remember my mom bought him a book on Harriet Tubman. And I was just like, should we tell him that slavery was a thing? Like, are we doing that? You know, it just hits you. Like, you're like, oh my gosh, he's going to see that the people that were doing that look like him. And I don't have any frame of reference for explaining like how messed up the system is and how people will think he's cute now, but they'll be afraid of him because he's going to be tall and he's going to be probably 10 or 11. He's already tall. And I have not come to terms with all of that, but I am more open about letting him know things. Um, so I, 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 I stick to my son because he's the most... He's just so smart and aware and he sees things and he's always in our conversations. But I remember last summer, um, my husband and I were on TV in Austin because I gave away free estate plans to black people and I rallied a bunch of estate planning attorneys. So we gave away around 10 estate plans last August to some to black people because I couldn't go protest because I had a newborn or I had a baby at home and it just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't safe. I mean, they literally, they shot a man to death out there. Um, and so he was watching the clip and they were so excited that mom and dad were on TV. 
And then he looked, he's like, well, why are those people shouting at the police? You know, and he could see the protesters yelling, like, in conflict with the police. In his head, he's like, these are our community helpers, firefighters and police. And there's nothing that I'm telling him, like, those people are terrible. You know, that's what you learn because that's what it should be. However, it isn't, right? And so we started having conversations about sometimes people abuse their power or do things that are hateful. And you have to be aware that not everybody who has a uniform on is someone that you have to trust, you know? You should be able to, but it doesn't always. And he was like, okay, I'm going to bed now. But you can tell that layer had been stripped. And that was so sad because I would love to have him in a bubble where he's like, if I need help, I just call the police and it'll be great. But, you know, I have had, you know, experiences, not personally, but with my own brothers that have had horrible encounters with the police. Very scary. And, you know, one of my brothers is a doctor and the other one's a mechanical engineer. So, you know, sometimes people are like, well, if you just present a certain way or you educate yourself out of like, it doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't matter. And even as I was older, we always lived in these, um, you know, like these gated Texas communities. And my dad was pulled over all the time. And I never knew that because they just didn't tell me. So that's the kind of information that I'm like, what? That happened? You know? And um, so I'm raising my kids differently. You know, we read about stuff and we talk about it and we learn about it and we call things what they are that in an age-appropriate way. There's no way to, for anyone to be safe, right? None of us have the, the key to security, but I do want them to feel empowered and have the language to know what's going on as, as much as they can understand. So I don't live in fear. My kids are really full of joy and most of them are extroverts. And I've loved this past year because they've got to be at home and cocooned for another year at home. And so I really enjoy not having them be out experiencing things in the world quite yet. So just to talk about this past year, um, you said your kids have been home mostly. (laughs) So um, with you running your business, and I'm sure, you know, you have your husband too, but how how does, how did COVID work with having the kids at home, you having your own business and handling that all? Like, how did it shift? Yeah. So for anyone who wants to hang their own shingle and go the solo route out of school, I think it's a fantastic idea. There are all sorts of incubators and and ways that people can break into that. And I started out doing everything myself. I had no training. I was just like, let's see if this works. If not, I'll try to get a job because, you know, I can get a job. And I remember getting my first pay and, and just being hooked like, ooh. I like the feeling of the bank <laughs> telling you that you just received payment. And let me see if I can get that feeling again. And so what happened is, and I had a baby in March of last year. And leading up to that, I was just in panic because I was the only lawyer at the firm. And I had a an assistant, but I basically did everything. I was like the intake and paralegal and, you know, witness and all the things. And one of the the groups that I'm, I was in recommended planning for maternity leave and they helped me set up a whole way to replace myself so that I could have a maternity leave, which actually never happened because as soon as I had the baby, the next week locked down in Austin. And so, yeah, I was at home and all the kids were back at home. So it was four of us, no more school for the year, four kids, uh, including a newborn, my husband and me all in this 1800 square foot house where everybody liked to be right near mommy and the new baby. And so it was horrible. In a sense, the beauty of that is that I hired somebody and I had trained her enough to be me. So she could have the talks and and I would just sit in bed and I'd do the consult. I would do it totally different at this point. If if I, not that I'm getting pregnant again, but if Mm -hmm. I were in that situation, I would outsource even the sales part of it because there's so many things you can do to keep your business moving if you plan for it. And so that really saved me and allowed me to have about three months where I didn't have to go to the office. I had this office and was just holding my plants. I'd go in and water my plant babies because it had such a great light and I didn't want them to die. But I wasn't using it because I had this person who was essentially me. And then we had moved our signings to curbside. So it was just like this, why am I paying $800 a month for for housing my Monstera and (laughs) having no kids rip it up. And so um, 
that was my first foretaste into replicating myself. And even when I came back, I said, please stay on because these kids still don't have, we don't have a nanny, you know, we didn't know what the virus was doing, but I still had clients to service. And so I just started paying somebody to be me. And then I would pay myself, you know, I wasn't paying myself much, but I always try and pay myself. So I'm not, you know, running some sort of experiment where I'm just paying other people. And and that really led me to scale my business. And I had some of the best months ever with the least amount of work that I was physically drafting. None of that. I had that all outsourced. And so that's the model I'm building is that I want to keep replicating and, and show people how I did it and have them build that out so that the business can run without me having to be a cog in the wheel in any way. So it was a great year. It was the best revenue year I've had in business. I two times my revenue from 2019, 2.6 times my revenue. And so, yeah, and I had four kids at home, but I had started to build systems and I wasn't so precious that I felt like I had to do everything. So that's the best way to scale is to have people help you. I love that. It's truly a business when it's making money and you're not there, right? Yeah. So that is awesome that you figured that out. I know you talked about earlier in August, you gave away the estate plans. Mm-hmm. So can you just fill us in? Like, what does an estate plan look like? And what does all of that include in, in estate planning yeah. law? Yes. And I'll just talk generally, you know, if you're 18 and you have capacity, which means you can make decisions for yourself you can start the estate planning process. You you should start the estate planning process because it. I think a lot of people think of estates and they think of people having so much wealth, right? You think of like the Rockefellers have an estate, obviously, right? Or Kim Kardashian has an estate. But an estate also includes you and your body and decisions that affect your body. So you, we've all heard about the last will and testament, the will that says, this is my property, this is who I want it to go to. There are also directives that you can set up for medical decision-making, you know? Um, A lot of people think, oh, my parents or my sister would be the one or my spouse if they're married to make that decision if I'm ever incapacitated. And that's not, it's just not the case. And so you have to put down who you'd want to help you make those decisions. And so that could be um, a sibling or a spouse or a, a cousin or your parents, you know, especially if you're in law school, so that if there's ever an emergency, you have somebody at, at your rescue who can help you make decisions for you if you're not able to make them yourselves, yourself. Um, and there are s- several documents like this that have to do with health decisions and, and also financial decision-making. You can have a financial power of attorney set up so that you are able to have someone in Texas and in some other states, you can have it go into effect immediately. So if you study abroad and you go to London for the, for the semester, but your bank is still here and you have to pay, you know, your school fees or your student loans are dropped into your bank account in the States, and maybe somebody has to help you pay something that's not automated, you can have that person be an agent on your behalf to make those sorts of payments on your behalf. And if you're incapacitated, even more the reason to have somebody so you don't miss you know, any important payments and, you know, end up in financial straits, you know? Um, So these are some of the things that students can think about doing, getting your medical power of attorney, your financial power of attorney, and some sort of um, advanced directive. An advanced directive is a living will, which a lot of people think is a will, but it's an end of life document. And it basically says, if I'm ever if I ever have a terminal condition or a serious health condition and I can't consent, this is what I would want done. This is the kind of medical intervention I'd want. And it sounds ridiculously morbid to even think, why should I get that done? I'm, you know, 20 um, or 22, however old (laughs) people are. I mean, there are some older students. However, they came about um, and became even more popular. There was a 26-year-old woman, her name was Terry Schiavo in the 90s, who ended up having a heart attack and, um, was in a vegetative state for about a decade because her parents and her husband disagreed on what to do with her. Her parents thought she would get better. And her husband was like, I remember her saying she didn't want to be kept like this. And they disagreed. So they took it to court and hired lawyers and paid for her medical bills for that long. And so just simple paperwork, you know, just setting up like a simple will, right. And some directives 
are just a really great way to let your loved ones know, hey, I planned this so that you don't have to. And then when you become lawyers, and a lot of lawyers make a lot of money, you need to protect your assets. And when you have kids, you need to protect your kids and make sure that if something happened to you and the other parent, that you know where they're going. Because it's not just going to be your mom or it's not going to be your sister. It's not like that. The court will consider the options, right? And as lawyers, we really, you know, a lot of people take wills and estates and don't think that applies to them, but it applies to every one of us. And so I do a lot of educating on that and letting people know, like, if you're an adult, you need something. Because if you don't have something, the state has a way to maintain your state. You know, when you pass away and if something happens to you, the state's going to have to get in there. And you probably don't want that. So that's what I would say to people is, don't think this is something you'll do when you're 60. Think about what you need today because you need something now. So... It's funny that you say, like, don't wait till you're 60, because I literally, when I think of estate planning, I'm like, oh, it's a bunch of older people who are, you know, tying no. up the loose ends. And, and it's clearly not that. Not so at all. Thank you for clarifying that, not for only us, but I'm sure so many people have that assumption as well. Yeah. And it's kind of like when you think about retirement planning, you don't start retirement planning at 60. You start it as soon as they have a 401k at work and they have a 403b. You're like, I need to be putting something away. I know this is something I want to do and be able to retire or whatever that's going to look like when you guys hit that age. But it's like, you, you start the plan now. You don't start and say, all right, well, I guess I've hit an age where I should start thinking about that. Estate planning is the same way. So- like you said, we could get directives and go ahead and start everything. Um, as young lawyers, can you draft those yourself or how does that work? Yeah. You know, one way for young lawyers to get in, involved in just understanding even law students is volunteering at legal clinics where you can do pro bono or low bono assistance for people to get their estate plan done. Um, that just gives you an entree into what the forms are and what the considerations are when you're creating estate plans. I think that's a wonderful way. I also try and get people get into estate planning. I know it's not the sexiest area of the law and a lot of the firms will want you to bring in like a certain clientele, but there are so many other options out there that are blooming for people who are just interested in, in generational wealth transfer, right? And you can build it up to where you're doing, you know, trust and tax planning and all of that. There are so many levels. But I would say if you're, you're interested for yourself, most states have state forms that you can fill out and have notarized or witnessed um, for certain medical and health directives, depending on where you live. And then if you're just interested in understanding more about what it means, but n not necessarily wanting to... Um, maybe invest in like a whole estate plan, definitely go to a clinic and, and see what the lawyer says when they're counseling. Or if you become one of the lawyers that does pro bono work with a legal services clinic as a volunteer, start to look at it and read it just like you would do with any other form and start to see what the nuances are and how much authority you should give somebody else, you know, over your life, you know, and have how to have that conversation. For example, in, in Austin, we have the Cancer Law Clinic, and we provide pro bono estate planning to um, survivors or current uh, families who have a, a family member with, a, um, with cancer. And so we have to sit and talk to them and talk through their documents and make sure they understand it. And we haven't done it in a year because of COVID, but that's also a great opportunity to volunteer. You can volunteer as a witness just to you know, hear how the lawyer talks and look at the forms and see what's going on and familiarize yourself and not make it some, oh, when I'm 60 and I'm really rich, I can look at that form. But yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do that for myself too. So I would do that and look for free ways to get an estate plan yourself or to volunteer and, and learn more about it. Do you know if pre-law students can volunteer at these clinics? Absolutely. You can volunteer as a witness um, if you're not a lawyer of record. And you can also volunteer as a notary. I know a lot of students, it's very easy to become a notary. So if you want to help just notarize and you do that, they in Texas, you have we have notaries as part of the process. And so that's something that you could do too, is just offer whatever you have or just say, hey, I'm looking for opportunities to serve or I'm interested in estate planning. Do you? Ha I had someone ask me, my current PR person who 
reached out to you, she pitched me because she was interested in, in working for a lawyer, even as an undergrad. I mean, and I just thought, I don't have a position. But then as soon as an opportunity came up, I was like, oh, this would be great. And you could see the inner workings and come to our meetings. And she's now a witness for my signings. I had four on Friday for eight clients and she goes and she brings her homework, but when it, and waits, right. For, but when it's her time to be the witness, she has to sign and she's understanding the process. So it's, she's done, I don't know, <laughs> tens of them at this point, this semester. And so that's another thing, just finding opportunities, even if they may not be presenting themselves and say, I would love to help you out in this way. Do you need help? Um, and, and that's just a really great attitude generally when you're not seeing opportunities is to go ask offer and see if someone will make one for you. That's great advice. I mean, I know we had, um, we had talked to an estate planning attorney a while back and honestly, ever since that conversation and now talking to you, I'm like very interested. Yes. So um, I, I know it. like the legal aid services here in Oklahoma, I know they do like estate planning too yes. um, for lower income individuals. So I think that's really interesting. I think we should definitely check that out. We'll link, it. we'll link it in the show notes, guys, if you're in Oklahoma. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and we'll link the Texas one as well for any of our Yeah, it's called the Cancer Law Clinic. Awesome. If you will, this has been really great. I know I've learned a lot and I've just totally enjoyed talking to you. You guys, she's such a light. You're such an awesome person to just talk with. And I feel so revived to get my day going. I know we have a midterm in two days, so <laughs> we've got a lot of studying to do. But um, Bless you. you. <laughs> right. Whenever you said you didn't like law school, I was like, I feel that. I feel yeah. the same yeah. way. It gets better. It gets better. Just get through it. That's kind of my attitude is just get through it. You'll be fine. And when you said raising poor kids was worse than law school, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> also, you read. Not you worse, but you're not having to change any poo. No one's like, you know, throwing up on you. You're like, wait, there's worse things out there than this. And then I start to think about it. I'm like, yes. be worse things. <laughs> yes. There are. It's not worse, but it's 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 labor intensive. It's yeah. more satisfying and more fulfilling. But yeah, there are harder things than going to law school, for sure. So where can our listeners find you if they have any questions to ask? Yes, um, you can find me on Instagram. I am the Justin Case Lawyer. And um, if you are wanting to find out more about my law firm and my practice, you can find me at willsintexas.com. That's my website. Or um, I have a personal website, which is my name, ifiabekwe.com. And I hope to start, um, I'm writing a book on estate planning for everybody else. So estate planning when you're not an old, rich, white guy, essentially. <laughs> and um, how to make it normal for everyone to know that they need one. And then also, I'm thinking about setting up a course where I teach people how to become an estate planning lawyer and how to set up an estate planning practice, how to talk to people and, and just kind of have like a estate planning practice in a box, a modern estate planning practice in a box. So if that's something that's interesting to you, you can check me out at ifiabeckway.com. Send me a DM. I definitely know I am interested in that estate <laughs> planning uh, box. So if you it has to be created first, uh, yes. Well, <laughs> if it gets started, definitely let us know, and we will let everyone know because I know that I will be the first one to sign up because I truly am so interested in estate planning now. I love um, it. So yeah, thank you so much for just great conversation today and sharing everything that you shared. I think that you're just so positive and realistic and it's just really nice and refreshing to Very see. Very refreshing. Thank you so much. I really am one of the few people I know that really enjoys being a lawyer. So find something you love and you will enjoy it almost, you know, 20 years out. So that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Wow. She is just such a light. I know that we said that to her and I just can't say it enough. She's such a sweet, sweet, sweet woman. She taught us a lot. I know um, I'm very interested, like you said, in estate planning and what just all that has in, in, entails for young people too. It's kind of like if we make that something with retirement and it all kind of goes together like your 401k, then maybe we'll all have estate plans and understand more of what that is. And that just makes more jobs for us lawyers out there. I also think 
talking to her, just, I mean, talking to anyone who's ever opened up their own firm, you know, from all the people we've talked to, like, it just inspires me to want to do that. Like, I want to have my own firm where I'm making the rules and like, I'm, you know, it's my last name on there. And, you know, that's my goal. And I do think that, you know, estate planning and there's certain niches where once you learn enough about it, you can really build an easy practice. Absolutely. It's very interesting. I guess we'll find out, you know, only time will tell what we end up doing in the future. But that is something that we're very interested in is opening up our own firm and just what that looks like. So yeah, I'm really excited um, for y'all to let us know what you thought about this interview and make sure and check us out on Instagram. We've been posting reels, if you guys haven't noticed. I personally was a very new beginner at this, um, so give us some grace on that because <laughs> we don't know where to put the words sometimes. To like, I didn't know you had to put words on TikTok in a certain place so they wouldn't be covered up. I, it's just yeah. things you don't think about, you know? It's a learning curve, <laughs> just like <laughs> law school, right? Law school TikTok is a learning curve, you guys. So make sure and check us out on TikTok. Like Samantha said, we are on there and we are posting reels on Instagram as well. If you have any ideas of what you'd like to see, always let us know. And if you have any ideas for episodes or people you'd like us to interview, you can always let us know in our DMs. Our Instagram is Ladies Who Law School Podcast, and we have a Facebook and a Facebook group with 800 of you guys. I feel like every time we tell you guys a number, it goes up like 100. So that's really great. You guys are talking there every single day. And honestly, I can't even keep up sometimes. So you guys are killing it with your convos. So that being said, we will talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye.